This is the third Sunday in Ordinary Time, and the lectionary has assigned our reading from the fourth chapter of Luke as the Gospel text for today. In that Gospel text, which we just read together, we have Jesus proclaiming Himself the Messiah through His reading of the passage from the prophet Isaiah. We're going to spend some time in that Gospel text in just a moment. First, I want to mention another observation going on today. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Sanctity of Life Sunday was started in 1988 by the then President, President Ronald Reagan. President Reagan declared the third Sunday in January of each year to be Sanctity of Life Sunday. The third Sunday in January was chosen as Sanctity of Life Sunday, so it would fall as close as possible to the January 22, 1973 Roe versus Wade decision that ultimately opened the door to legalizing abortion. Before you assume that the remainder of today's message will be about abortion, let me tell you, no, that it is not. It will be about the sanctity of life, of all human life, for which some basic background information and the facts about abortion will be a helpful foundation. Between the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 and now, January of 2022, slightly less than 64 million babies have been aborted. Over the past few years, there have been between 800,000 and 900,000 abortions in the United States per year. Splitting the difference between those numbers and using 850,000 per year as an average, that is 2,329 abortions a day, that is 97 abortions an hour, and 1.67, just over one and a half abortions per minute, every minute of the day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That is a staggering number of babies that have been, pre been prevented from being born. Approximately 25% of American women have, have an abortion prior to reaching 45 years of age. The majority, about 54% of those obtaining abortions in the United States, identify as Christians. About 30% of those obtaining abortions identify as Protestants. And about 24% identify themselves as Catholics. The minority, the remaining 46%, report themselves to be of other religions or of no faith. Those that obtain abortions are from all ethnicities, economic groups, and every other way of dividing up people. And they are from all parts of the country. Some more, some less, but everybody and every location is impacted. The question that we must ask is why? There are many in the pro-life community who will claim that people use abortion as just another means of birth control. That is certainly true of some, but it seems that the percent of the total who may fall into that category is extremely small. In my role as a priest and while I was an army chaplain, having spoken with many women who were either considering abortion or had already had an abortion, the most frequent and recurring theme was one of desperation. And the statistics available support that observation. The significant majority of those obtaining abortions give their reasons that in one way or another root back to not being able to go it alone with a baby. 
There are no finances. There's no family support. There's no available health care. There is, and this one should shame all Christians, no support from the church. Not saying any particular church, some are better than others, but the Christian community as a whole. Too many tell the woman to carry the baby to term and then reject the single mother after the baby is born. We cannot, as a church, we cannot, as Christians, tell somebody to have a baby and then reject the person when she does. That is a shameful double standard. As a result of the challenges already listed and others along the same lines that are given as reasons to abort, the woman facing an unexpected pregnancy can find herself in a position in which she feels impoverished, captive, blinded, oppressed, and desperate to find favor with someone who can provide an answer and a solution. The abortion industry is all too ready to supply an answer and claim to have the solution. With that recognition, I want us to turn our attention to our gospel passage from Luke, beginning in the fourth chapter and the fourteenth verse. Luke tells us that Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Well, then we have to ask returns from what? He returns from his baptism. And the power of the Spirit is that special blessing that occurred when the Holy Spirit of God descended in the appearance of a dove as Jesus was baptized. Jesus goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. Once there, Jesus read from the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied about multiple things, but most importantly in our case today is the prophecy about the coming Messiah, the Savior. When Jesus finished reading, he told the people that the prophecy that he had just read has been fulfilled in their hearing. What was the prophecy fulfilled in their hearing? The Messiah identifying himself to the people. Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The Lord has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus said, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What does that mean? It means that as they heard Jesus speak the words of the prophecy, the words were true as he spoke them. Jesus said, The Lord is upon me. The Lord anointed me. The Lord sent me. And this is true right now as I speak. As you hear me, the words I say are about me, the one true Messiah. Not some unknown person, not some unknown or hoped for Messiah. It is me, Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit. The word for anoint is creo. When using the verb anoint, the word is ekrism, which in English has become chrism. And in the church today, we have the oil of chrism for the sake of anointing. Creo, ekrism, and the anointed one is the Christos, or in English, the Christ. Jesus said in the reading of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. I am the Christ. And for what purpose is Jesus the anointed one? For what reason is Jesus the Christ? For what reason is Jesus the Messiah who will deliver his people? To affirm the sanctity, the value, the worthiness, the sacredness of life, of all life. 
No matter how downtrodden, no matter how disenfranchised, no matter how dispossessed, no matter how impoverished, no matter how marginalized, every person, every man, every woman, every child, every baby, born and about to be born, has human dignity. There is sanctity in every human life. Jesus loudly proclaims, I have been sent, I have been anointed, I am the Christ in order to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to restore sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To boil that down to the simplest of meanings, I have been sent, I have been anointed, I am the Christ to alleviate the suffering of all those who suffer. I have been sent, I have been anointed, I am the Christ to let you know that you have found favor with the Lord. There are answers and solutions. God is with you and wants to bless you. What Jesus did not say in this passage, but he did say elsewhere, is how these blessings would occur. Christians, you and me and all those who claim to follow Christ, we are the ones that will make it happen. It does not matter if the problem is spiritual or physical. Christians are to bring comfort to the suffering. No matter spiritual or physical, Christians will help the poor. No matter spiritual or physical, Christians will help the captive gain their freedom. No matter spiritual or physical, Christians will bring sight to the blind. No matter spiritual or physical, Christians will free the people from their oppression. No matter Spiritual or physical, Christians will declare God's favor, will declare God's love by being loving and caring for those around them. If you want to know just how important it is for Christians doing this work of Christ is to Jesus himself, it's a simple matter of reading Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 through 46. Jesus, speaking of himself, said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, 
As you did not do it for one of the least, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It is our Christian duty to recognize the worth, the sanctity, the sacredness of every human being, of every human life. Notice that Jesus did not say go out and change the laws. In our text, Jesus is no social reformer and does not address himself in any fundamental way to the political structure of his world. But he is deeply concerned with the literal, physical needs of the people as with their direct spiritual needs. Changing laws may be a good thing, but the law will not change problems. The law will not alleviate suffering. The law will not stop poverty captivity and oppression and returning to what many people will spend their entire time in the pulpit preaching about this morning the law will not stop abortions from happening jesus said that we are to be involved by our direct action when will we in the united states stop having over one and a half abortions per minute every minute of every day when christians protect the sanctity of all life when people know from where their next meal is coming, when people know they will not lose their job, when people know they will not lose their place in school, when people know that they will not lose their families, when people know they will not lose their place in the parish, when people know that all life is valued, including their own, and therefore bringing another life, bringing a baby into the world, will not result in impoverishment, captivity, being blinded to opportunity, and and suffering of an oppression which inhibits their lives, then people will know. When we as Christians do as Christ commanded, treating every life, every man, woman, child, and baby, born and about to be born as sacred, proclaiming the favor of the Lord by meeting their needs, then true change will happen. Amen.